Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi there, still watching listeners. It is Joanna Robinson here from a hotel room in Nashville. I just wanted to let you know that Richard and I were both traveling this week, and that means we had to record this episode well in advance, which unfortunately means that we missed the opportunity to talk about IndieWire's article that came out this week called Big Little Lies Season 2 Turmoil Inside Andrea Arnold's Loss of Creative Control. This is obviously something we want to talk about. It's a topic we've been circling on the podcast. We're eager to talk about it, but we will not be discussing it in this episode because we recorded before that article came out. If you want to email us your thoughts about the article, which some of you already have, you can contact us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Once again, that's IndieWire.com. The article is titled Big Little Lies Season 2 Turmoil Inside Andrea Arnold's Loss of Creative Control. And we look forward to discussing all of that with you, hearing your thoughts for our finale episode, which will run next week. In the meantime, here's our discussion of the penultimate episode of Big Little Lies. We're kidding ourselves if we think people will stop talking. You're one of the Monterey Five, right? Monterey Five? Just the way he said it, you know. How did he say it? Like we all have scarlet letters on our backs. It's gonna get us. It's gonna get us all. What are you talking about? The lie. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Big Little Lies. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Each week on this podcast, we break down the latest episode of HBO's Big Little Lies. This week, we are on the penultimate episode, season two, episode six, The Bad Mother, um, written as ever by David E. Kelly and directed as ever by Andrea Arnold. Um, we are gearing up for, for the end, end of it all, Richard. Um, how, how does that feel? How does it feel? Like, it feels like such a fast season this year. I know. I feel like we're just kind of getting traction and now it's going to be over next week. It's, it's a weird feeling. Whereas last season felt like it just kind of sprawled and went on and on and on. I don't know what the difference is exactly, but, um, it definitely feels like, oh, wow, here we are. 
Yeah. Um, all right. So as, as we usually do, we're going to start with a few listener emails. You can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Thankfully, we did not get any emails that were like, how dare you not be as enthusiastic about the show as we are? I was a little, I was bracing for those. We didn't get those last week. So, and I've heard some rumblings of people feeling like the end of this season is, is unraveling slightly. Um, and to that end, we will start with this email from Philip who says, can you make the case for why Madeline is relevant in season two? We, the viewers, no longer need an introduction to Big Little Lies flavor of Monterey, and her character seems less sharp and less funny. Why am I not asking about Renata? Because her belted blue tweed suit in episode five and her nuanced comedy are better than even Madeline's house porn and certainly Reese's pouting. Thank you, Philip. Um, so... Actually, let's, let's, uh, let's choose this as a thought experiment. Cause I actually had a similar, like a broader thought about this while watching this specific episode. Let's make the case for each of these women being in this season really quickly. So I'm, st- I'm going to start with Celeste, who feels like, who has, feels like she has the number one reason to be in this season this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, she has, is having a very complicated relationship with the violent death of her husband, who was himself a violent man. And so it's a relief to have him gone. And yet, you know, there's grief for herself, for her children. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the, the season's about her. Right. Um, and then second, I was second most about, I would say is Bonnie. So, um, what's, what's the case for Bonnie being in this season? Um, because we didn't really get to know her last season and now we are even, you know, and especially because she was the kind of, well, final inciting event last season. Um, it, it only feels fair that we get to see her side of things. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I will add Jane to the list. Jane, I think, is um, because of her relationship, you know, because of Ziggy's relationship to Celeste's voice, because of her relationship to Celeste, because how that relates her to Mary Louise, I think Jane also feels more central um, this season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the show is about, or the season anyways, about the ripple effects of violence, you know, and, and Jane is, of course, an integral part of that, um, which then I guess brings us to two of the other main characters who feel a little bit more extraneous this season. Yeah. Madeline and Renata, um, which is, which is weird to say about Reese Witherspoon, who is like, you know, one of the two biggest stars in the cast and, uh, Laura Dern, who is like meme queen, Laura Dern. But I just, here's, here's what I'll say about Renata in this episode. Um, as much as I feel like sometimes I can see the threads on how they're trying to like cook up things for Madeline to do. And we said similar things about Renata last week. I feel like this last minute sort of au pair affair feels very like, let's give Renata something to react to in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And thematically, I don't think it knits very well with everything else is going on. That being said, there are, you, you mentioned this last week that Renata was more of a supporting character last season. And like when Renata has a drive by, like when they go into the courtroom and she gets stopped and she's like, she says to Bonnie, like, I know how you feel. It's like we're being profiled. Like that's a, that's a great, awful thing to say perfect mouth to put it in and like that's the kind of supporting character drive-by that like is perfect for this character and then when you try Mm -hmm. to expand it it feels off balance to me yeah and i also you know as much as i loved laura dern's acting in the scene in the car after she finds out about the the nanny affair Mm -hmm. um i'm just like why is who is this guy that he's like i still love you it's like he just keeps doing these horrible horrible things and yet he still kind of is hanging around in the picture and that to me doesn't really track i guess with renata's kind of otherwise go for broke personality i feel like she would have kicked him to the curb 
Yeah, they'd be done. Um, I agree with that. So, um, that being said, um, you know, Becky Ann Baker's judge character this week says, like, you know, women stay with their abusers. This is a form of abuse. True. Uh, yeah. maybe abuse is, is too, too strong a word. I don't know, but it, you know, it's a form of like abusive behavior to lie to your spouse, to lie about money, to lie about a sexual affair, all that sort of stuff. So, um, all right. And, and then, then let's use that to circle back around to Madeline because, uh, this week, the big thing that she was given was to, I don't know, reenact a scene from Jackie. Uh, what did, what did you think of <laughs> Ma- <laughs> Madeline's sort of wedding dress? Reese was like so super charming and great in that scene. And when she was like, you know, it doesn't fit, but we're not talking about all that sort of stuff. Like I, I thought it was great, but once again, it just feels, off balance and out of place with this other story that's happening concurrently. Well, I mean, A, I wish that she'd been dancing to a Michael Levy score in that scene. That would have been (laughs) true, Jackie. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, when these women are dealing with like the closing in of law enforcement on this thing that they did a year prior and her one friend, her husband has lost all their money. Her other friend has a mom in the hospital from a stroke. Like it just feels like, and yet these, I mean, I guess maybe that's true to life that these petty concerns of your own, well, pettier concerns of your own life would also be, you know, kind of coexist or, or, or maybe even take precedent. But in the, in the language, in the shape of the show, it's like, why are we spending this much time on this kind of, I guess, interestingly articulated relationship that Madeline has with Ed, but also it's a somewhat small story compared to other things on the show. Yeah. I have to wonder, and this, um, this is fun because I haven't seen the finale. So I don't, so I get to speculate, uh, which is always fun for me. And I want to say for the record, when I said Celeste being a lawyer, like I hoped it would be important. Um, I had not seen this, these last two episodes when I said that. So I feel pretty good that like, I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. Celeste, right. the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I was right. Um, anyway, um, the, this idea of like who will snap, who will break. And, um, you know, the chief suspect seems to be like it might be. Bonnie or, or Celeste who feel like the most vulnerable. Um, but, you know, but what if it's Madeline? You know, what if it's Madeline because in the interest of preserving her relationship with Ed, that's sort of the thesis that was split in this episode that like she wants to, um, tell Ed because he can tell that she's lying and she's trying to heal their marriage. Um, and so if it, if it were Madeline who broke, quote unquote, broke instead of Bonnie, um, that's another great supporting character drive by, uh, from Laura Dern as Renata who goes, it's a packed Madeline. And there's something about the way that she like mispronounced her name that like just made it all the better for me. So, um, yeah, but, but what do you think of like this idea that, that they're seeding that like, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be Madeline, maybe it'll be Reese. I think it's an interesting one. And I think again, and I don't want to assume malintent on the, on the, part of Reese Witherspoon, the producer, but it feels like, okay, that's yet another big thing for her character to do, right. <laughs> especially when her character has sort of been a little bit on the outs in terms of narrative interest this season. Um, but then again, as I say that, that would give a nice arc to her character, you know, for this, because you're like, why are we spending all this time where, where basically what she's doing is trying to rid herself of guilt in terms of having cheated on Ed, but maybe the guilt is really gnawing from somewhere else. Right. And that's what she's going to realize in the final episode. Yeah, possibly. Um, uh, what I will say for, there are things I did like about this episode and, and, um, 
our colleague Sonia Soraya pointed out something to me that I hadn't thought about, which is that David E. Kelly, who's producing the show, like he's known for his legal dramas. So mm-hmm. it would make sense that like the courtroom stuff would be a huge strength for him writing wise. So we can get to that, which I think is some of the strongest stuff in the episode. Uh, but before we do, I, I just want to say that there are things in this episode that something I realized is that there were so many scenes where I was like, wait, is this a dream? And then it wasn't because it seemed like so extreme and crazy. And I'm like, okay. And she's about to wake up and she didn't, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, for example, Jane's encounter with Mary Louise, where Mary Louise is like, Ziggy told me you had a gun. Did you buy a gun? Did you come to Monterey to kill my son? Like all this sort of stuff. Like, and then I expected that to like cut to Shalane Woodley, like gasping and sitting up in bed. And then it didn't. Or, or Bonnie saying like, can we kill her? Which like, we could talk about palliative care all day long, but like, would anyone just sit there and say like, can we kill her? Like, even, even if they are harboring resentment towards an abusive mother, is that how one would state it? in a public place if one wanted healthcare professionals to be on one side like I don't know it's uh, these little scenes that just seem like off in a way and maybe I like I want to give the I want to give the show full credit and say like it's intentional but I don't I don't know what do you think well I mean I think with the kill her thing I I, I totally agree that that doesn't really try I, I mean I guess you know, her mom did say kill me. So that word is in her head. But like, yeah, I don't think that in front of in mixed company, let's say that she would put it in such blunt terms. Um, because, uh, you know, and I haven't been in this exact situation, but um, it's my understanding that like, when you're in that sort of palliative care environment, there's such a softness to the language. And I think that even the person making that tough decision for their loved one would, it, it gets kind of subsumed by that language i don't know it just felt a little harsh yeah yeah um, exactly yeah and i think you know in in, in the larger sense of this sh- of this episode feeling is it a dream is it real is it not it, it is owed to the fact that this one felt like arnold as a director really applying the uh jean-marc valet style but a bit because she's kind of used it in the past episodes at the beginning and end of each episode, the sort of mosaic-y, montage collage kind of thing. Um, whereas this, is, it kind of runs throughout, and it feels a little bit, hmm, not inexact, but uh, maybe over over-applied. Um, but that's funny because I've been complaining that it wasn't valet enough for the rest of the season, so I don't really know. Maybe I can't, <laughs> can't be satisfied. Yeah. Um that's us. Never never been satisfied. Um mm-hmm. All right. Uh let us talk about the way that the episode ended last week and how that feeds directly into the beginning of this episode, which is uh we get the cliffhanger last week of like why is Corey at the police station and this episode op- opens with why were you at the police station? So that's great. I'm glad they didn't like drag it out or anything like that. That being said, uh, if we were holding out hope for Corey to be like the one good guy in Monterey, I'm not sure uh, that this episode leaves me feeling yeah. that way. It's, it, which, uh, there is a way that, I, I, you know what, I actually like this because, uh, he's, nice guying his way in a menacing mm-hmm. way that um like when he approaches her at work and calls her spiky or when he's at the beach where she's surfing whether it's just like a lack of boundaries in the guise of i'm the nice guy i'm here for you i'm not gonna leave i'm not gonna let you down i'm not gonna abandon you but it's like she's asking for you to leave her alone as clearly and as nicely as she can and you're not paying attention and i really i i like that depiction of toxic masculinity, uh, even though I really did want at least one 
actual good good guy on the show. What do you what do you think about that? Well, I'm thinking that maybe the one good guy in the show is the principal. Oh, <laughs> we love him. He's been the good one all along. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the end of last week was abrupt and confusing enough that to have Jane go into that is like because Bonnie saw him, right? That that, that was right, the, right, the, right, yeah. yeah. Is like wait, because some of us, like I had trouble even understanding what was happening at the end of last week's episode, so that felt a little bit jumpy, but um, that's okay. And yeah, I think the stuff with Corey, like where we're seeing this turn, and it's been a gradual one, where it's like, oh yeah, like he here's another person, another man, like asserting himself into Jane's life in, I mean, certainly less aggressively than Perry did. But, um, but in its own way, there's a real menace there. And I think that in that casting Douglas Smith, who is this kind of, you know, these Botticelli curls and this kind of sweet mm-hmm. cherubic face, he looks a lot younger than 33, which is what he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, that's, that's a kind of sinisterly smart bit of casting then, you know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. because it, like these things come in all packages, I guess. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see where that, um, goes next week uh you know but at least there's been more with this character than there was last season with joseph cross's coffee shop you know barista yeah, guy who sort yeah. of became a love interest for jane um so you know again and i and i and I, I think that this season has been really great for shailene woodley as a as a performer um just as it has for zoe kravitz it's nice to see the two younger um women on the show uh who are a little bit spotty or, or maybe didn't get enough to do last season in bonnie's case uh uh get get some more meaty stuff to play yeah i completely agree um so like let's hang all of our hopes on uh principal nipple um as being (laughs) the one good guy and maybe that teacher who's trying to teach kids about climate change i don't know um (laughs) Um, but yeah but uh you know what i was i was just so disappointed in Corey in this episode (laughs) Mm -hmm. like his like the first scene you're sort of like okay you know what is he gonna do when he gets called into questioning like and um it, it was a little weird. I mean, I guess we can credit the uh, the detective who called him in because she seemed to know that, like, whatever she told him, he would tell Jane because he just does exactly that. He dutifully goes to Jane and says, like, there are five of you. One of you is going to crack and that one gets a deal and the other four are fucked. Like, you know, that's delivering the message quite succinctly. But um but, you know, he was sort of like, he was kind of fine in that scene. And then when he did the work thing, I was like, no. <laughs> and then on mm-hmm. the beach, I was like, no, we're done here. We're absolutely done here, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't know if Jane, Jane is still considering it, but you know, and like, you know, she's there with her kid. It was just like, oh, I was so, so disappointed. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's um, let's chat about Bonnie before we, we hit the courtroom. Um Bonnie spends a lot of time in the hospital room with her mother. She does have some like dreamlike moments of, of, uh, confessing to the murder. Um, 
We see her writing in her journal, talking to her dad, and we see her mom say, this is something I kind of loved. Her mom, in a dream, gets up and says, like, go to the light, baby. And mm-hmm. um I really like that because that to me, and, and maybe I'm wildly misinterpreting it, but on the second time I watched it, I was like, is the show giving us a like, because go to the light is like, kill yourself like be done like mm-hmm. right and is, so is she is this like a but said in such like gentle motherly tones which reminds me once again of sharp objects is this sort of like encouraging bonnie to either kill herself or be dead or something like that but in a motherly way and that's like the exact kind of sort of toxic mothering that we've been seeing from elizabeth and um you know mary louise is a little different but similar um what was your interpretation of that encounter well i think it's interesting because it 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 really it can be interpreted different ways and i think that maybe that's the point is that especially with parents um the things they say to us take on a different cadence and tone and meaning depending on the angle at which we kind of approach it, how old we are, what our relationship is to that parent. I mean, this is true of any loved one, really, but parents, I think, you know, loom especially large over many people's lives. Um, and so I think that, yes, I mean, it can be read as this creepy, gentle urging to end it all, or the light could be the truth. You know, the light could be not living in the lie. It could be speaking up and admitting to what Bonnie has done. And, uh, it could also right. in, in this imagery of drowning, swimming toward the light means swimming toward the surface and right. not drowning and, and surviving, you know? So, and I think that, that the, 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 the many potential meanings of that little line, um, are, are the point is the point, you know, that, that, that it could be read so many ways. And our hope, I guess, for the character is that she reads it in the most productive, healthy way. What a big little line it is. Um, all right. So, uh, what, uh, and then, you know, um, Bonnie gets this, uh, confession that she reads to her mom. And, um, this is, this feels like maybe Zoe Kravis's biggest thing that she's gotten to do. Um, she's gotten a lot to do this season and I really appreciate it, but this, this seems like one of the biggest things she's gotten to do. And, and I thought she did a great job with it. And especially like one of my favorite lines is, uh, when she talks about like, uh, you know, I resent, I resent, um, you making me hate myself to the point where I, you know, settled and married a man. I don't even, and she doesn't even like finish it, but that seems like big information because like, I kind of believed that she, especially in season one, I believe that she like loved Nathan. Yeah. He was like a mess, but like, I thought she was just like, yeah, you know, I, I see something here that, that is a value to me. And, and then to find out that like in, in her, deepest, darkest recesses of her mind. She's like, I don't love this guy. And I settled for him because I don't love myself. And I thought that was pretty powerful. Um, yeah. What did you think of all well, of this? And, and the way that it mirrored what Celeste talked about on the stand, you know, yeah. about, about her sex life. And it made me think about just yesterday, what, the day I watched the episode, um, I was reading about this disgusting new book about the Kavanaugh hearing written by these two conservative women, basically that, it, and she, one of them went on Laura Ingram's show or something and was talking about how well Christine Blasey Ford, uh, you know, was actually known to be a, a heavy drinker and to be very aggressive with boys when uh. she was in high school. And I was reading, you know, replies to the tweet with this clip, which I don't know why I subject myself to this stuff, but, um, but there were a lot of people saying, well, actually, you know, that can often be the reaction to that kind of trauma is people, 
seeking, you know, weirdly seeking out that thing that, had, you know, that so initially traumatized them. Um, so I don't know, I was just had that in mind when I watched not only Celeste's big, you know, um, test testimony scene, but also Bonnie talking about her past in this way that, um, you know, was, uh, was really affecting. And, and, you know, I think that like over the course of this season, you and I have spoken about Zoe Kravitz and, and Shailene Woodley, uh, in a way that we're like, oh, they were so good and this and that. And, and, and I hope that that doesn't sound patronizing or anything. I think the reason that at least for me, and I think you too are doing that is because the other three women on the show are get to do such big, you know, moments and, yeah. and, 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 and Shailene Woodley and Zoe Kravitz are saddled with the, the, the quieter, more, more, um, sort of inward characters. And so they don't, when they get to do something, it's often much smaller. Um, so it is just nice when, you know, the camera just trains on Zoe Kravitz and lets her go. And, and she's, she's great. Um, and then I think it's like slightly ruined for me by the fact that like we then focus on Bonnie's mom's face, not ruined, but like, I, I wish it didn't end on like Elizabeth's face and we see that she's like awake or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. it felt like once again, one of the, uh, like a, a soap opera twist, a like, da, yeah. da, da, she heard it all. She heard the murder confession, you know, like I was like, uh, I mean, I, I'll see, I'll wait to see how it plays out in the finale, but I was just like, I didn't, I, that felt like the wrong note to end that really powerful uh, moment on, you know? Yeah. It undermines it a little bit. Yeah. I agree. All right. Let us get to the meat of the episode, which is the trial of, uh, uh, Celeste Wright. Um, and we get, uh, you know, first, uh, we, you know, you and I both said, like, when Dennis O'Hare showed up, we're like, oh, good, Dennis O'Hare is here. How exciting. Um, and, and he got to really, like, you know, do it, uh, in this cross examination of, um, Celeste here. It's funny, um, I should look up Becky Ham Baker, but I know that Dennis O'Hare, um, he plays this, he played this great judge on, on The Good Wife. And, um, so I'm just like, I love Dennis O'Hare in a courtroom. I'm a big fan of it. Um, so we get him examining, uh, cross-examining Celeste. We get this revelation, which I think is really one of the best things that the show has done this season because, um, it wasn't until I watched this episode, episode six, that when I went back and rewatched episode five, that I realized that you see her having sex with another guy because I, for some reason, when we got that flash, the first time we saw it in episode five, I thought it was either the bartender that we saw before or a flashback to Perry. And I didn't notice that it was another guy, but like the, this revelation that Celeste has been having sex with all these men that we haven't really seen, but it's seeded enough mm-hmm. in her like ambient blackouts and all this sort of stuff like that, that it doesn't feel like a cheap out of nowhere surprise is a really good sort of legal show thing to have happened. And <laughs> it puts us without any preparation it puts us, the audience, in this, um, I think, really interesting position where we are forced to confront our own judgmental feelings about this. Like, wh- how do we feel about seeing this? Do we think this makes Celeste a bad mother? Um, you know, what does that say about us, the way that we process this information? Um, what did you think of that, of that sort of big reveal of the court scene? I thought it was well done. And yeah, I mean, you know, look, Put a theater actor in a courtroom scene. They're going to be good at it, you know? <laughs> um, and he's great. Um, and, and Kidman is obviously great too. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, I don't know, I guess I found myself thinking, all right, if this was a widower we were talking about and he had multiple uh, women exactly. over the house, you know, yep. and, and one of the kids found a woman in the bedroom, like, 
would that be read as trauma for that child? You know, no, I don't know. I don't think it would be. Um, and I think that that was teased out interestingly. And I think it's interesting offset by having a female judge. Um, and I don't really, I guess I didn't know what these kind of family court things with no jury, how they played out, you know, and like who is really being almost addressed with all this testimony and, and also the, the, the lawyer questioning. And I guess it is all kind of at the judge, um, which is interesting because it, in, in one sense, and I think this, the scenes in the courtroom really played this beautifully was the, the tension of sometimes the judge seems supportive, other times not, and trying to kind of figure out where she was at any given moment or what she might react negatively or positively to was really, um, it was, it was a bit of a ride, you know, and, and I think they, they played that very well. Yeah, I um I I had the exact same thought. I was like, well, if this were, you know, if this were Perry, let's say, because mm-hmm. Alexander Sarsgaard and a bunch of women, like, you'd just be like, Well, he's grieving. <laughs> this is how this is how men handle grief or whatever. And and I think it is very subversive. I think I think the things that it it forces us to look at are complicated and good. And this is the show at its best, where you're just sort of like you're on Celeste's side, you have or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some people are completely like sex positive and fine. But I think, I think what adds to the question about this behavior is not that she had sex with a parade of men. It's that she has these like blackouts around yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that they talk about like her son being unable to wake her up. Like that, it might be slightly traumatic, you know? Um, and, so, you know, so, so it's complicated. And then to further complicate it, which I really like, we get this scene in the episode of her putting the boys to bed and then going to the kitchen and just drinking an awful lot of vodka. Um, you know, in a, in a sneaky, not in a, I need to unwind, but just sort of like, I'm not, I'm not really, when, when, uh, people drink from the bottle and they don't even close the cabinet door, it's like, I'm not really drinking. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. so, uh, it's what did all you... a means to get to, to a state of mind. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. A, nu- a, nu- yeah. a quick, as fast as possible to a numbing, a numb state, but yeah. unable to use Ambien anymore. I mean, do we believe her when she says she's not using the Ambien anymore? I believe that she hasn't taken it for a little while, you know, yeah. I don't, but I think that might be, you know, plenty of people can, um, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 days cigarette free. So, you know, <laughs> you quit smoking. Richard. <laughs> Who knows if I'm going to yeah do that. Yeah. But, um, thank you, Jewel. Uh, this pod, this episode is brought to you by Jewel. Uh, <laughs> um, but don't, don't Jewel kids. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I, I think that an interesting, you know, in, in similar to the way that we didn't notice that there was this other man kind of spliced in, um, and only it was revealed in the court scene, like, has Celeste become an addict, you know, like, and I, I think that like, they've obviously been, that's been hit on throughout the season, but like that vodka scene, I was like, oh, right. She might just be like really, you know, uh, tipped over the edge of, of what is, you know, problematic, uh, you know, substance use. Um, so I don't know it just kind of shades her character more interestingly, but then when she's more lucid in, in courtroom and, and she's, she's, I like how honest she is because she is a lawyer and she is smart and, you know, she's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to obfuscate, but like, here's why all of these truths n- known, it still doesn't mean that I can't parent these children, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that like that look at complicated parenthood or complicated motherhood in particular, um, is is really appreciated and 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 makes i think you know we were talking about how this oh my god we're almost at the end i think that stuff gives this season a bit more sense of occasion and importance um and i'm glad they're kind of getting to that 
big thematic stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting because every time Mary Louise says something like you need help, like let me like let me help with the boys or whatever, like I I, I don't think she's wrong, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. but she's the wrong person because she has these other ulterior motives as we see like her in the police station with the detective looking at confession footage and stuff like that. Like uh she's she's the wrong kind of help, but I think Celeste does need help. Like Mary Louise isn't wrong that when she like opens a drawer full of, of medication bottles in Celeste's bathroom, that that feels like some kind of warning sign. Or, I mean, we see Celeste crash her car. I mean, that's, that's a warning sign. Like uh, I, I, yeah, I think, I think Celeste does need help. It's just like, it's like a, yeah, it's like a shark offering you help. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. like she needs a friendly dolphin or dolphins actually friendly. I don't know. Some sort of Nemo fish to help her out instead. Um, you know, like, cause if, if, if Jane were like, I mean, not that Jane's in a huge position financially to do so, but if Jane were like, let me take the boys for you, you go into a facility. Madeline probably has more resources to do that. Madeline, take the twins. Let Celeste go get a, get treatment with a better therapist. Um, you know, like that seems like what Celeste should do right now. It's just, she can't leave her boys with this woman, you know? Right. Well, and I think that brings us back to how we started the episode, which was like justifying each character's existence. And I don't think we got to Mary Louise at the top of the episode, but we can talk about her here, which is like, you know, it's a really not like, it's a very complicated character because on the one hand, she is this kind of mother of darkness for Celeste. She is the woman that created Perry, you know? Uh, and so she represents such a danger there. But on the other hand, she is a grieving mother. I don't doubt that Mary Louise does care for the well being of those kids. And I think that, I think I would say maybe half of her gestures towards Celeste of apology and sort of whatever are genuine. The other half are maybe a bit smarmy and sort of strategic. Um, but, uh, I think that, I think on the one hand, you could have had this character just be the no nonsense Hannah Pitt who comes bus- blustering into these cities, you know, these silly people's lives and kind of takes them to task for, for being frivolous or whatever. And it would have worked okay. Meryl Streep could play that asleep, you know. Um, but to have her more, to have her unsettle this world of Monterey wealth or whatever in a more, uh, sinister and sort of deep level uh has been interesting to watch and i think um that's kind of justified her existence even if mary louise it really is just a plot device in the end yeah no i i I agree with a lot of that um it's just i just feel like honestly meryl can do so much but if she were doing a lot less, I think it would be even more powerful. Does mm, that make mm-hmm, sense? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I really think that scene with Jane was wrong, incorrect, uh, for, yeah, for what that, they're trying to accomplish, you know? That felt like a, th- a out of a thriller or something. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. that did not, that did not sync up with, you know, the shutting the door in her face and, and, you know, saying all this stuff. And, and I, I can, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember who posted, but have you seen that clip? It, it went around on Twitter a couple weeks ago of Debbie Reynolds on Larry King. 
where no. she imitates Meryl Streep. And this is this was years. Ago. Oh yes, yes, yes. And she just doesn't <laughs> yeah. really say anything. She just does kind of these hand movements and kind of like huffing of breath. Oh, yeah. And Larry King just loses it. He just cannot stop laughing because it's very funny. And I think yeah. for coming from Debbie Reynolds, like it is a little bit mean. Like I don't think it's a loving uh, tease in a way. Um, and I just I saw that it kind of in the midst of watching this season, and and I was just like, you know, we don't get six hours of Meryl Streep very often, you know, or really ever. I guess Angels in America was the last time we did. Um, and you're just like, oh yeah, okay. I can, I can see the work, you know, I can see all the choices and everything. And I, I think you're right that, um, it does stand out a little bit as like a capital A acty thing, um, more so than the show needs. Yeah. Um, and, I will say to the, to the, uh, the Debbie Reynolds thing, I, I think the timing of it works for me because I think it was at a point in Debbie Reynolds career when she wasn't like doing much and Meryl was really ascendant. Mm-hmm. And so it just seemed to me to be like an old showbiz gal, Debbie Reynolds being like, these new actors, they just don't do it. You know, she's punch, she's not punching down, she's punching up at that point. Do you know what I mean? And so that right. kind of like works and, for me. And of course, you know, um, Meryl Streep played her daughter in well, right. a version of her daughter in a version of her life, you know? So right. um, there's She's that connection. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah. So to, you know, to that end, did you see, um, Kevin Porter's sort of viral video that he put on Twitter of him, like in Meryl, Mary Louise drag dancing to the opening credits. <laughs> no, <didn't>. Okay. <laughs> it's so good, but it's just sort of like, um, it's, uh, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a, this is a performance, as are a lot of Meryl's performances that's like, you know, lends itself to like a, a drag imitation sometimes more than like, mm-hmm. I don't know, something, something a little lower key. Anyway, um. And that ends Richard and Joanna's viral video corner. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this on Twitter? Um, I've heard there's some good cat videos. Anyway, um, yeah, so is there anything else in this episode that we want to talk about before I want to do like sort of a brief, what do we want from the finale uh, look? But what is there anything we missed in this episode? Mm, I think we covered most of the bases. Again, Laura Dern's great, but I, I think her storyline, Renata's storyline has sort of spun off. Um, I, I guess I want, at the, I wanted in this episode, I wanted more of the detective, Marin Dungey's character, because she, I like that she's been kind of just on, like, like lurking on the periphery. I think that's a, a, a nice narrative device, but, um, I feel like, okay, we're, I'm ready for her to close in, you know, and maybe that's next week, but. Has she had like one line this season? Well, she had that one scene with Mary Louise. Oh, right. right. Um, uh, yeah, they, they did actually talk to each other. I thought they just sort of like looked at, anyway, um, the, yeah, I did like her there, just there in the courtroom and, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the women in sort of the front row and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just like the Gordon nanny thing. I'm just like, why, why are you here? Except to, you know, give us a gif of Laura Dern stuffing tissue in that guy's mouth. And, yeah. You know, that is a, it is a 2019 mood. All right. So you already mentioned like sort of one thing that you're looking to see in the finale. I will say that I, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, if it's just an hour of Nicole Kidman <laughs> interrogating Meryl Streep, I like, I'm back in. I'm in, baby. I'll watch it. Um, I hope that she kind of just loses herself and just forgets where she is and is like, were you mad that I won the Oscar for the hours and not you? And then she's like, oh, wait, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wrong thing. Oh, oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Mary Louise, the Mary Louise character is so close to Meryl Streep's, uh, doubt character sometimes mm-hmm. that I'm just sort of like, I keep waiting for her to say, like, I have such doubts. <laughs> and then a light bulb burst. <laughs> uh, and then Dennis O'Hare is like, I wasn't in that, was I? Oh, it seems like I was, but I well, wasn't. Um, maybe anyway. Maybe on stage? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, th- that's, that's all I really need to see from the finale. Um, do we, uh, and also I need to see Jane like fully reject Corey after what happened this week. That's, that feels important to me. Uh, or we never see him again. One of those two yeah, things is okay. I, I think it's going to be interesting because what I loved about the finale last season was mm-hmm. that it ended on this surprising note of togetherness because so much of the season had been about women fighting with each other, yeah. you know? Um, so I'll be curious to see. I, th- I my guess would be they're going to try to return to that same sort of feeling, albeit altered because of everything that's happened since. But um, I'm, I'll be curious to see how they get them back together uh, for a moment that feels hopefully a little bit more, um, well, hopeful. Um, oh yeah, I just remember something that um, I I probably want from the finale, and then it gets us back to something that we egregiously overlooked in this episode, uh, which is Tori's masturbation list and bucket list. Um, oh, God. Right. <laughs> Tori, who, uh, you know, uh, approaches Ed. Um, maybe in the finale, I would like to hear at least three more names on each of those lists uh, from yes. Tori. Just a recitation over the yeah. end <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård, but not in this, in Tarzan. Um, <laughs> uh, all of Bonnie's sweaters. Um, so, Madeline's yeah. house. Oh, that's fine. Sorry. Um, yeah, listeners, if you want to write in with your masturbation slash bucket list of big little eyes things, please do. Still watching Bot at gmail.com. Um, yeah, and then do I want any kind of resolution for madeline and ed i feel like we kind of got it you know like Mm -hmm. sometimes uh you know smart tv shows will wrap up certain storylines the penultimate episode so you can focus on in on something for the finale so it feels like the madeline and ed wedding dress moment because i got frustrated i felt like we were having in an earlier scene this episode when she comes in and he's at his computer and she's like i'm just at a loss i don't know how to make you trust me again i'm like have we not had that what is this scene like Mm -hmm. i've already had this scene but then the wedding dress scene i think actually felt like some mood moving the needle um in a way and and i could just leave madeline and ed there that feels like an okay place to leave them um i guess probably like Gordon's five last remaining tracksuits or whatever will probably get thrown in Renata's pool. Um, that's probably sure. something that will happen. Yeah, there might be like a way to exhale, sort of, you know, burn the oh, stuff. Oh, burn that whole house down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Why not? Um, Bonnie, what do you think? What do you think about Bonnie for the finale? Um, I feel like she's going to come to a redemptive point. I think her character, the character's earned it, you know. Um, I don't know what shape that's going to take. I, I kind of like your theory that Madeline's actually going to be the one. And I don't think it's going to be viewed as a crack. I think it's going to be more as like Madeline's just like, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for this or something, even though it's maybe yeah. not hers. Um, so I, I think I have, I have, I, I'm, I'm optimistic for Bonnie, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, since it was Madeline's idea, to tell the lie in the well, first right, place. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would be nice if it were Madeline, uh, to sort of get them out of it somehow. I don't know. Um, by taking some of the responsibility on herself. Uh, and then Jane, other than Corey, Jane, just, I don't know, uh, a promotion at the aquarium. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe moves again. I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know she has some friends there, but yikes, like Monterey's not been good. 
uh ziggy catches a wave <laughs> just rides away yeah. yeah that's my that's my uh that's my vote for the name of the finale ziggy catches a wave mm-hmm. get or get the fuck out of monterey one of those <laughs> um and then like what i most want to see in the finale is no setup for season three because i just think we done. we've done it we've yep. done it um and i hope they agree but who knows um all right. Well, until next week, Richard, uh, where can people find you? I'm just going to be scouring the earth for more viral Debbie Reynolds content. I think <laughs> we, and, like to, we like to keep our finger on the pulse yeah, of what's happening. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, while I do that, of course, I will be tweeting at Rylaz and writing on VF.com. Joanna, where will you be until the finale? Um, I will be setting up my rival uh, old ladies of Hollywood uh, viral Tumblr, which will be Shirley MacLaine based. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find both of us on VanityFair.com and on the podcast Little Gold Men. And we will see you back in Monterey for the last time next week. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.